Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hello everyone. I hope you are all doing well in these well, special times. In this episode we talked with Limonas Ragauskas. He's from Lithuania. He's a trainer of youth workers. He's a consultant in the field of education and an international facilitator. Limonas has dedicated his work to innovation in the digital world. He's involved in platforms like Cities of Learning or the Batchcraft Trainers Appraisal. And we explored a little bit what these platforms offer for young people and for youth workers and the organizations they represent. But mostly we talked about what will be the place of youth work in this post-COVID-19 world. How can we help youth workers and organizations pivot their strategy in such a way that they still offer a relevant support to the young people and to the communities they serve. And we also talked about how can international platforms or international players support youth workers in doing this job and how can we all use our creative capacities to come up with solutions that were never there before to experiment, to explore. It was a long talk, but a definitely worthwhile one. So with no further ado, let's talk youth work. Good afternoon, guys. Hello, Anita. Hello. Hi, Rui and I, Lamonas. We are uh, today, uh, it's the 1st of May, actually, 2020. We are recording this episode again um, from a distance, although in these days, this is nothing new. We, we all have to be working on a distance with each other. So I'm in Lisbon. Uh, where are you, Lamonas? In Vilnius. Vilnius, Lithuania, great. Yeah. And you, Rui? Uh, Kerkeveld is near Lisbon. All right. So me and Rui are close by. You are a little bit further away. Limonis, <laughs> yeah. welcome to the to our Talking Youth Work episode. Um, we invited you because you are a, in Europe, you're a very famous trainer, a consultant in the field of education, an international facilitator. Um, and we like to start our conversations by inviting our guests to explain us and to explain to our listeners, how did you became that? How, how was your path to youth work? My path to youth work was actually a lot of accidental things happening on the way. Okay. It, that already sounds interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't that I have a dreamt to be a youth worker or a trainer at all. Actually, um, since my childhood, like since the age of nine or 10, I was always like trading in the market with my parents or grandparents always wanted to be a businessman, you know, 
And when I was like 10, 11, I would imagine myself like, you know, in a suit and this uh, nice suitcase, you know, like probably cash inside or something like this. <laughs> that cash sounds inside. like a drug dealer, not like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that was my idea, you know. And when I was uh, when I was 10, 11, it was when, you know, Lithuania got independence and there was this all shift, you know, from the... Uh, kind of, you know, Soviet Union to Lithuania to becoming like a crazy, you know, capitalistic slash, I don't know what <laughs> system. <laughs> so it were they, these were interesting times, you know, people losing jobs, they suddenly need to reorientate to find out their place, including my family as well. So I spent actually um, quite some time really like trading whatever, you know, plants, uh, cabbage, uh, I don't know, like many things, you know, flowers on the All Saints Day next to the cemetery. So I, I was a lot in that and I was thinking, you know, I'm probably going to be a businessman when I will be, um, adult. Yeah. And then, uh, in, yeah, then 97, I think I joined the uh, one youth organization and somehow started activities there. And then I started going to some conferences with that organization and then got involved in some training, then I wanted to do something similar in the area where I was involved. And actually, because of that organization, I was involved also to develop a regional uh, kind of local youth policy in uh, in my hometown, Kursiane, where I'm from, it's uh, northwest of Lithuania. So that's that's how it went, actually. Really, it, it shifted almost by accident, you know. And uh, so I got involved and then I stayed in that field. I mean, I was a bit shifting my attention from one organization to another one. Uh, but in a way, since age of 18, I, I was involved in, in the youth work field. It's interesting that um, if we look back to our different guests in this um, in this podcast, I don't know if you agree, Rui, that many of youth workers or youth work trainers have similar paths of accidental um, nature, let's say, ending up being involved as a young person in youth work and then being catched by it. I think it's a common story. Yeah, and also uh, youth work exchanges, or I don't know, it's the, the name. Youth exchanges. Youth exchanges. <laughs> and people, when they, that's one thing that I've realized from some guests, like you were mentioning, it's they trip on youth work or something related to youth work and they end up staying because they fell in love with the the, the relationships that they form, the, the people that they meet the subjects and it's very interesting it's true i think it i think there, there we should maybe make an episode about what makes youth work so attractive <laughs> to young people you know yes the seduction of youth work exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay Lemonus, but um going further with your story since you became um a trainer or at least since i know you you've came to develop a lot of innovative solutions for youth work or youth work related, I would say. And it would be interesting to know a little bit about them. Um, first of all, I know that you are involved in a platform, well, different platforms, but the first one, Cities of Learning, which is a project that you're very involved in. What is it and, and what's happening there? Yeah, so Cities of Learning is the initiative where um, a city or territory or region has a platform which allows organizations to uh, post 
uh, educational activities uh, or sets of activities. We call them learning playlists. And uh, it allows young people to discover that learning happening in the area where they live, start learning. And these activities could be both online and in-person or combination of these. And then um, then also, the, it's not only discovery of activities, but also actually people can learn um, already by just joining that platform um, and also earn open digital badges, which prove that, you know, they were learning certain things there. So it's, it's really, it's on one hand, it's mapping opportunities for young people is discovery of opportunities. And it's a kind of space for young people and organizations to meet and, and connect to each okay, other. So it's like a learning timeout. Yeah, it's really, I call it a, a city uh, digital infrastructure of learning. So, okay. you know, it's, it's something visible that you open the platform of a city and you see what are the opportunities, not necessarily all possible opportunities, but opportunities from organizations that decided to actually post activities there. And young people can, based on their interest, can choose which activities interest them. And then we have now actually growing a number of cities that are joining along the way. So we started with five cities or regions, and um, and now it's, I think, 12, and, and it's increasing now. And there, are they all in Lithuania? Oh, no, it's only one in Lithuania. It's only uh, Vilnius City of Learning. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have uh, cities and regions in Germany, Netherlands, uh, Italy, Serbia, uh, yeah, n a number of countries, oh, even South Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's so it's, because, it, again, it's a digital product, you know, so it doesn't have borders. It it, it can be used by, by anyone who wants to use it, really, and it somehow connects to us. Okay. And then we, we are able to provide that initiative to, to people wherever they live in the world. And is it a free for the young person? For young person, yes. It's free product and in many cases for organizations as well. It's just that it's either municipality or some kind of coordinating organization that, that um, needs to pay for launching the platform and keeping it uh, uh, as a service. Uh, in some cases, also people apply for some projects and public funding. And do you have any numbers already of the impact? I mean, do, do young people use it is is it is there any indication that that it does facilitate the access to to training opportunities and learning opportunities uh yeah it's actually every time it's increasing you know and uh, i wouldn't say that you know it's hundreds or, or thousands or millions you know uh but it's uh, steadily increasing and uh, organizations start discovering it's there because you know when you start from scratch um you really have zero at the beginning and and, and now we see you know like i think in in Vilnius, more than 400 activities are already there on the platform yeah and i have a question do you have uh, an idea of the rate of uh, in-person trainings versus the online trainings and another question is if you have any indications of the dropout in the um, online trainings because that's a big challenge of the online trainings it's people don't finish it hmm. are you asking in general about online learning and 
residential learning yeah it can be it can be a specific in cities of learning and in general i i would like to hear about both of the scenery it's a little bit uh, how to say cities of learning is not really a platform for online courses mm-hmm. yeah it's rather uh, imagine like micro learning uh, activities so it could be a one day event or it could be a series of events or it could be it could be of course a long-term program but it, it hasn't it wasn't created really a initially as an online learning uh, program uh, and actually many activities there are not online they are residential so it's more for young people to discover oh what is near next to me okay what are the organizations offering something and we promote the idea that these organizations would also think if they have anything online any interesting like a you know teaser because what we also is young people sometimes um a bit hesitant to go to a new place mm-hmm. or to a youth center near them because none of their friends going there. So they are not sure whether it's worth going there. So also we're promoting the idea of like, okay, present your activities in a youthful way and uh, allow people really to, uh, to kind of get a feeling of what is the activity there, what potentially people might learn. How does it feel like to be there? Yeah. Because then I would say the question on online learning is also a bit different, different thing. Because cities of learning is not about really making online courses. Hmm. And you talked about something while you were describing um, your your path and the cities of learning. You talked about badges, and uh, I know that you are also involved in that platform, Badgecraft, mm-hmm. um, and that's also a new proposal in the field let's say what what is the proposal how would you describe this yeah so cities of learning is actually the follow-up of our efforts of using badges in the recognition field (sighs) because when uh, the colleagues we started uh, working on open badges 2000 from 2013 uh, at some moment after i think three years we realized that uh, we had the systems work in the way that, like, you see a badge and then you enter a badge and then you see what you need to do to get that badge in a way. So this is a digital badge, obviously. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a digital it's digitally verified uh, badge uh, that has data inside. So okay. once you earn a badge by matching certain criteria, you have a data inside which shows. Uh, who issued that badge, what you had to do. It also has a link to the, any evidence that you provided to mm. get that badge. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's like powered up certificate, you know, because it has data inside. It's not just a plain text, but it has a kind of, you know, a verified achievements coded in that badge. So I think that it makes it especially relevant for the field of non-formal education, where you learn a lot of things that won't give you a certificate at the end, that you don't get a grade, you don't get an exam and then some piece of paper saying that you became doctor of something. How how can organizations that operate in the field of non-formal learning, how can they access these badges uh, well, the good thing about uh, open badges is that they are, it's a very open tool that any organization can create their own. 
Hmm. You know, so for example, if they go to a platform like Batchcraft, they can basically design their own recognition system. So organization decides what is something they want to recognize in their organization. Um, they define, you know, objectives, they define criteria, and they, they define what is the evidence that you need to provide to get that badge. Yeah. So it's, it could be badge for learning, it could be badge for active participation in an organization or for taking a role. Mm-hmm. An organization being a member, or a board member, a volunteer, okay. uh, a chairman, chairperson. So uh, that's it's very open and it's, it's really allowing uh, organizations to create their own systems or we also created public library of badges. So mm-hmm. organizations can publish them to the library. People can import, remake them, adapt to their own settings and launch that for their for their organizations, for their communities. And so you talk always about open badges. Does that mean that's free for organizations to use? Uh, open badge uh, is the technical standard. And that's, it's called open badge because it defines um, specific things what data should be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then for organizations, if they have up to 100 users, it's, it's for free to use. And then the service for basically keeping the platform, for keeping the system has certain fee. So connecting cities of learning and badges, basically, we, we realize that it's not enough to show a badge, uh, but people are actually interested in the activity itself, in the value of activity, not the badge. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why we kind of, it's really a progression of our development. So it's a follow up. And the cities of learning, we said, let's put activity, visible uh, visual, uh, mm-hmm. clearly defining what you can experience and, uh, open badges is integral part. So okay. once you as organizer, you create an activity, the badge is already generated. So there is no way to, or to provide an activity without recognition already. You know, it's embedded there. Organization just needs to do their work and, you know, explaining it, promoting it so that young people would know what um, what is it that they're getting from that activity that's that's fantastic i I think that can be a great added value for um municipalities or regional bodies that want to congregate in one place um the learning opportunities for young people outside of school and it's a a great way to also mainstream recognition like you said that activities already they they are expected from the beginning, from the platform, to offer this recognition. And I think that that puts recognition in, in, in on the table to be discussed maybe further on. So I, th- I think that can be a good development. And um, we have a, gr- a great number of listeners that are not from Europe and might not be so familiar with uh, with this platform. So um, on the text of this episode, we will share the links um, to, to these ones. And the last one, um, the last platform I wanted to, to shortly just um, hear a little bit from you is the trainers appraisal. So there is a system online dedicated for uh, trainers in the field of youth um, to assess themselves and let others also assess them. How does that work? Yeah. So the trainers appraisal, it's um, it's uh, kind of development based on the ideas which kind of bubbled up in the International Youth Work Trainers Guild uh, where at first we saw, okay, trainers need a community and a space for development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then we moved on thinking, all right, um, we are working internationally, often remotely. It's very difficult to meet each other, but we also understand the, you know, the value of really, uh, that others are helping uh, me to understand better who am I and how do I do things. So that's why we uh, developed a platform where it's possible not only to do self-assessment, but also ask others uh, for feedback and ask participants, colleagues and contractors. So they give their feedback and um, this kind of 360 view of competences allow trainer, you know, to see more clearly where am I? Yeah. In terms of competences, what are the things that I need to, to pay attention to? Uh, I can, uh, add specific skills or knowledge to my development plan. You know, if I see a number of people saying certain things need development, I need to also check with myself. Do I also think like that? And then I can move that to the professional development plan and set up specific steps, um, how to, improve that thing so mm -hmm. essentially it's really 360 competence review and uh, as far as it's the idea originated here in europe uh, we are using um, european training strategy uh, competence model for trainers working internationally so it was kind of very relevant to our context yeah so we use that one and then yeah it's it's a service for trainers to to have a better understanding of themselves and, and things they want to work on. I was listening about that uh, tool and I was thinking that it would be very good for everyone to have access to that kind of tool, not only as a youth work trainer, but everyone, because sometimes we l we don't see the areas that we need to develop or areas that we are uh, have developed more than others, but we don't realize. And the feedback is essential. And I think it's something that we lack in usually nowadays is the, the feedback in, in a constructive way, because sometimes it's easy to criticize, but the way you're, I, I feel that you're doing it, it's a development tool that wants to bring out the best in people using their skills that they have developed to help them get to another place and also to the shortcomings that they have and the tools to help them uh, grow up. Yeah, I, I was listening to you and I was thinking the same, um, um, that actually this is the kind of um, systems that should already be integrated into LinkedIn or something like that for everyone, right? That you can, well, that not only the recommendations that are already there, but um, that you could have more self-assessment and um, 360 evaluations uh, being made through that to any professional in general. But I think it, we're very lucky that, that this has started, um, in these fields. And, and I hope it grows uh, not only for the youth work trainers, but to youth workers, for example, or to other, um, actors, let's say in the field. Now, I, I wanted very much to explore with you what's going on now with the COVID-19 situation. And I know that because you are involved in so many digital projects and because you are interested in these new solutions that kind of are more scalable, that are digital-based, that um, answer to some of the dilemmas and challenges that we face on the field, I wanted to ask you, do you think that this crisis 
will accelerate innovation? Do you think that because, you know, the previous paradigms and the assumptions that our work was based on are changing, uh, that this will push uh, youth workers and other actors to innovate more? Definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, for sure it will. And it's, it's happening already now, you know, suddenly uh, we are not the nerdy, awkward, you know, people talking about technology in the field of non-formal learning where direct relationship matters a lot and it's super important and, you know, doing things online always looked a bit like strange thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, now I see there is an interest. I see different countries reacting, some slower, some faster, again, depending where they were. Um, but the interest is there. I was just like now, you know, drafting an email to a Lithuanian State Department of Youth, you know, with the offer on digital youth work, because that's what they are interested in now. Yeah. We thought the interest had to be there already five years ago, but, uh, okay, the time has come and it is, I think it's boosting innovation in, in many, many sectors, including youth sector. And, uh, now everybody talks that we're not going to go back to an old normal, but, uh, we are going towards the new normalities, um, that would you know, still would use all the good things from youth work and informal learning, but I think will more quicker adapt new things. Yeah, it will adapt and it will embrace the potential of technology, mm-hmm. online technology, internet, and also I think it's a it's a test what is possible to do online. Mm-hmm. You know, because now we are actually in a situation where. Um, also the field itself is very much under threat of existence because this field re- re- relied so much on physical contact and traveling, especially the international youth work field and international training field. So it was affected dramatically. But now we as trainers, we're trying to react quite quickly saying, look, there was a training course planned for youth workers. So there are 20 or 30 people who are still eager to learn in the middle of June or middle of May. Yeah. There were trainers, there were resources already dedicated. Um, there is no reason to cancel these activities really. Yeah. So, but we understand it's about the mindset and it's about really a time to start shifting that mindset. And I think, uh, we need, people to to communicate that very clearly that it is possible to do things i'm not saying it will be the same it won't be the same it will be different learning experience but we are communicating we are ready to experiment we would like to try out new ways of uh, still building that relationship between uh, an educator and a learner in new ways you know trying out new tools um doing more blended learning, you know, you do something online, then you give uh, some space and time for people to do something individually and then coming back and I don't know what, calling young people and, and so on. I, I think, I think um, it's very interesting to hear you because um, it is about creating a different reality. And I think that always causes 
resistance. Um, some of us might be more um, at ease with that ambiguity of, okay, I have to do this in a totally new way. But I, I think for most humans, not just youth workers or trainers, but for most humans, that's scary. And it takes time for people to accept that the new relationship they will create with their learners or with the young people will be different. Don't ha doesn't have to be worse. Um, and that online learning doesn't substitute in-person, one-to-one, face-to-face learning, but it does offer other things, other possibilities. Um, and I, I think that, I, I feel that as well, that there is this tension, let's say, between the field of people wanting to move on, wanting to find solutions, and at the same time lacking maybe references in their own life as learners to stabilize that, that, that vision. Uh, and, and so they struggle sometimes to see how will it be possible? How can we possibly do it? And so the only thing that comes to their head is, now I'm going to spend 20 hours in front of a screen. That's horrible. Very much uh, that, yeah. I think it's in general, you know, now everyone uh, needs to tolerate a huge amount of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just causing bad feelings to everyone, naturally, you know. We, we, we like to know what's happening tomorrow, next month. We can, you know, we want to have a rough plan for the next year. And if we don't have it, it's very difficult. And I think we're all learning to accept a short-term uncertainty. So actually, we do not know how things will be in three months. Mm. Yeah. And then it's really more about... Uh, on one hand, it's more kind of uh, a choice whether you choose to believe in more optimistic scenario or pessimistic one or something in the middle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's also about being curious and, and, and being curious in existing research trends, you know, understanding how things are developing really and, and not just waiting and, 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 seeing and reading, but also actually doing things and, and, and trying to prepare. Actually, you know, my and my colleague, few of my colleagues approach, we said, let's start preparing for a more pessimistic scenario. You know, predicting the future is a very tricky business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not sell our, our thoughts here. <laughs> let's keep it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that's why it often says, you know, it's not like the future predictions, but it says trends report or something yeah, like exactly. that. So it's a lot about just following trends, how they are going on already, or recognizing what is here at this moment that is already um, applicable to a low-touch economy. Or we could talk about low-touch learning, you know. Well, so yeah. uh, what is out there? Uh, where we can still learn and interact and still have a relationship-based uh, education, a learning process, uh, which is a little bit low-touch, you know. It maybe has less hugging. It maybe has less, you know, shaking hands to each other and saying hi, and, uh, but it's still possible. And, uh, of course, one thing we can look at is all the online learning area with its own pluses and, 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 and challenges, yeah. Uh, but then, you know, imagining a, a residential course, for example, yeah. Uh, 
I still had a training from 9 to 12 of March. So it was already the week when uh, some European countries went on lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a disinfection liquid, you know, so actually spraying hands after energizer. Uh, you know, we were really aware of these things, you know, it was about the surfaces, the tables, um, um, you know, the, pan, pan, the whole pandemic situation was not dramatic, but it was getting there. So, and, and now we already see some developments in the kind of leisure time or tourism in the industry, which is mm-hmm. kind of similar, you know, where people travel to meet each other and, and stay together um i just heard today you know uh one airline company is relaunching flights already and you know they say okay everybody gonna be wearing masks including staff and passengers there will be distances between each other uh no is, is there anything that you think like, outside, like oh you know, yeah we're gonna demonstrations get we have in to get Athens to where people stand two meters that. from each other still holding the same flags and slogans so <laughs> Uh, if I if I try to combine different things and signals around us happening now, I would still imagine activities happening, but people aware very much about kind of um, hygiene and that it should be kind of clean environment in that sense. You know, it's still many things possible with these conditions. Yeah. We can still be together, maybe yet not in a um, premises, not inside maybe still outside but if the flights will be allowed then it will be proven that it works you know maybe still uh, some inside activities will be able to happen but there will be different requirements for the size of the rooms right. trainers trainers will be happy about it also <laughs> finally we're going to have some space finally it's not going to be 30 participants cramped in a hotel room which is converted to the working room uh, so I think we might see some good changes in terms of size of the room, in terms of requirements that there should be a very good ventilation for the room, which is also very good for the brains and for any kind of learning, uh, you know, process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be even about the length about courses, because if we will want to uh, lower the number of flights, um, it could be that instead of having, you know, three courses for four days, there might be just one activity of 10 days. Mm-hmm. Now, the same report says that uh, when it comes to holidays, people might need to count uh, two weeks of quarantine extra after traveling. Yeah, So it could be that, you know, maybe a learning processes will become or trainings will become longer because people for people, it will be really quite an experience. I mean, going there and maybe coming back and maybe staying on the quarantine uh, at the same time, it, w- it might also mean that people will really need to consider very seriously, is it the training that they need very much? Is it nice to have or is it must-have activity that is essential for their work? So we need to see. Maybe it will also lower the demand for uh, residential international training activities also. I was listening and I was thinking that most of these things is about the, the human brain going to either or. And what we're uh, witnessing now is that we can have uh, the possibility of using these as tools because people think that digital will be a reality. Digital is a tool that can uh, help with different realities. It's not either in presence or only digital, like you were saying. It's it's a tool that complements 
it people if they see it as a tool and not as a reality maybe they won't be so uptight in embracing a tool instead of a reality yeah i i think i think that it has to do with our capacity maybe of seeing what is not there yet you know, like you were saying this uncertainty this uncertain scenarios i think it's very easy for us to imagine things as they were because we don't have to imagine them we can just remember or as they are which is very scary because we cannot do what we were doing before uh, also youth workers going to youth centers or organizing activities uh for young people or the scouts you know um but i think like you're saying who is not either or and there's an in between here and that will probably be our reality you know that has the biggest possibility of happening which is not that we cannot touch at all or that we cannot give a presential training or that people won't travel around is that that traveling will be harder so people will be more selective like you're saying or <laughs> i'm afraid that this might be one of the bad um come out of this is that people start even traveling more because of the destination not the learning experience because they think well i go to this hotel we won't do much because we can't touch and then i can have a week vacation somewhere in the in the mountains in uh, finland or something um but but i think that there is this reality or there's a big probability that what will happen is somewhere in between it's somewhere in between where you know maybe you cannot have a youth center full of young people but you can be outside in groups of three and they can still be learning something you know and maybe with an app you know whatever uh using some kind of quiz or going around and discovering things and then discussing it online in the end with a whole group so it it this kind of mixture and i think that's what is really interesting is not to imagine that everything will become an online course now that 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 would be very very sad but to imagine what are the possibilities there just for the in between scenario where like you say some traveling is allowed some touching is allowed you know we have to be careful with hygiene what 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 opens what doors are open with that you know so to be creative as well you know so what now what can we do with that with a bit more of distance absolutely and uh and i think you know there should be doors open for that kind of experimentation and innovation uh now we are in the process where we are kind of struggling and 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 you know trying to prove that look if you keep if we keep the same resources that were allocated for residential training actually it means a lot of resources when you move things online so what you say from flights and 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 you know eating schnitzel uh you can think quite well and choose quite interesting tools exactly in some cases it's also about maybe creating content on online you know creating content that will be available for way more people than initially had to travel you know these um to, to that residential course but there should be doors open for this experimentation and and people should be kind of allowed you know to use the budget which were already allocated really to try out you know um we heard we saw i think kind of decline a little bit in like you know the uh you know augmented reality or, or virtual reality you know innovations because they were expensive and people were like you know not having equipment um i think again people start looking at what are the possibilities you know really connecting to each other through virtual reality or uh using some kind of digitally augmented content and i don't know like it's really 
there are opportunities and I think a lot of experimentation out there um, in other fields, not maybe youth field, but uh, I think if resources will be there and if people will be open uh, to explore and, and kind of import ideas from elsewhere, I, I believe things can be can turn out in very interesting combinations of what you say. Something, something still physical, something relationship-based, something personal, but also adding new technology to that. Yeah, and, and I think that's been our, um, that can be, that has been like a red thread throughout all our episodes is that innovation really depends on this, well, open-mindedness, but also on this capacity to experiment and then to mainstream or to transfer to other fields. And um, with the different um, guests we've been having in our podcast, we've been always coming back to the fact that we don't have enough of that in the field. We don't have enough of trying things, maybe making mistakes, maybe, you know, that means that some initiatives just have to die because we tried and they didn't work. And maybe we have a low uh, resistance to that. Maybe it's also, I don't know, this is a personal vision of mine that that's also uh, maybe promoted by the fact that we are using a lot of funding and funding demands success every time. And innovation doesn't work like that, right? It, it works in a different way. Yeah. So I do hope that, that this creates these opportunities now and maybe more openness to, to this failure and to experimentation, like you said, just to try things out and then to mainstream. Because I think also each time we try something new out, and I think a lot of us do that, a lot of youth workers create new things, then the capacity to mainstream is not there. And that's, exactly. That's the exactly. And I think in the, you know, the conference where three of us met in Berlin, these were the, the issues discussed mainstreaming innovation it takes it takes years it takes effort and it takes a lot of money you know and some of us are super good in you know brainstorming and trying out and experimenting on a, on a small scale but then uh, scaling up any kind of development whether it's a board game or online platform or even a publication uh, mm -hmm. on some exciting new stuff um, scaling this up, it requires more than youth work or trainer competences. It requires uh, marketing knowledge, um, integrating new product in the market knowledge, you know, even for this market is youth work, NGO. Yeah. It's about also sustainability and, 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 and financial management. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the things that we often lack in our organizations yeah and this is this because this is often not our core yeah our core is to, to deal with people to organize educational programs and somehow it appears that we need to invent something because that something doesn't exist yet and and we think it's necessary for our field so we get initial investment to try it out but as you say the the, the fact that you know public funders they have this uh, these massive expectations for the money they give to mm -hmm. reach European impact, uh, you know, even the word impact, it's something that happens in three, four, five years, but the projects are done for two years only. So, you know, you cannot show the impact really. You can show only immediate results. So uh, reaching all these numbers and really kind of <laughs> with your innovation penetrating the, the field and then, and making the field adopt that innovation, it, it really requires time. 
also, I think we are, our field often struggles with the question of survival, meaning that their heads are so busy how to survive and get basic funding, you know, and to do kind of activities and their core mission uh, that the really it's very little time left to try out something new, to be curious, to read stuff, to participate in all these communities all around, because you, ha- you have to really struggle and take care of the survival first. It's true. It's totally Maslow pyramid here. If you if you're too busy meeting your basic needs. Uh, in, the, in the professional level, you know, if you're not recognized or your salary is not there or it's not enough, whatever, then it's hard to demand from a community like this that um, to, to innovate and to be able also to like to mainstream an idea that they didn't implement and it worked. If you're in survival mode, your brain doesn't go to the creative part. And even if you need to innovate, you're, you're not able to do it. And I was thinking and I remembered what uh, the, the provocation that um, John Ord did at the conference that what is innovation? And we were circling around the question uh, and I was thinking also the, the, what uh, the, the, the thing is that when you're always building new roads, you cannot build highways. And that's the problem if you're always doing this little training and this little innovative thing and you don't uh, invest like you were saying in all the other things to reach the the market and you use work also has a market in a big one that need all needs all those marketing tools or those implementation tools that usually are the last part to be to take in, in consideration true yeah I wanted to take take on on this on this uh, expression, the survival mode, because the the report that we were talking a while ago, it also mentions this. It mentions that people and organizations are operating on survival mode right now because of the COVID. So you know, with all the layoffs um, and organizations just trying to stay with their heads above the water and and uh, being able to operate on their minimums, not to just have to close down. And the same with professionals uh, trying not to lose their jobs or freelancers trying not to lose um, their market, let's say, the, their, their clients. And even governments and countries are very much on survival mode. And politically, this is uh, a huge pressure for any government in power right now, uh, all this crisis and the pandemic. So the, the report clearly points out that there is rising tension between countries, between cultures, between individuals, because we are all in survival mode and because of this uncertainty that we have in, in our near future, maybe longer. Um, do you think that youth work can have a role in easing these tensions, especially for young people? I mean, do we have a role in, in this in this world right now where everybody's trying to keep themselves safe, their little space, either it's organizational or, or individual or um, countrywide. Do, what, what is our role? I think in the short term, it's uh, definitely a, a supporting role for young people. And uh, we have one group in Lithuania where uh, youth workers uh, from organizations, they share what they do already. So um, youth workers, you know, acting locally, they have a feeling of a field, they have a feeling of what's the daily reality of young people. 
uh, and they are very quick to recognize that reality. That's the the core <laughs> skill and ability of a youth worker. It's a superpower right now. Yeah, and uh, and they they really talk about that. You know, the first thing they try is to have that space for uh, you know young people to to speak out. You know, to speak out the troubles, the challenges. Um, and it's not even so easy because, you know, they cannot meet live, so they have to do it online. Doing it online is not, also not very easy if you, you know, you live with siblings and huge family in a small flat and you need to have kind of private conversation, yeah? Um, so th- there's definitely, a, I think, now a big need to really ensure kind of uh, m- mental and, and physical well-being. And, and I see now different initiatives in the field of youth work, you know, even the same scouts, you know, used to take groups outside and so on. Now they they started seeing how we can offer some activities that people can do at home that is still good for the body and mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a youth worker saying, "Let's have a call, let's chat, let's let's see what's going on," just to just to comfort people a little bit with the situation. And uh, I think now the situation is getting better. People can already go out; they're not locked in homes. Um, and, um, I think youth work essentially at its core will have the same role is to be where young people are and, and, and provide support for them, um, in their being or learning, um, and, and, you know, providing safety nets. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the, the risk here is that youth work often seen as non-essential thing in terms of public services um, that it may suffer as it suffered in 2009 where a lot of things were cut and the youth work was the first one to be cut especially in the countries where it's relatively new thing and not very recognized so you know people cut what they don't understand so here i see youth work definitely can do a lot and take care especially of the vulnerable uh, young people having social difficulties in families and so on or they already like uh, organizations are reporting they see you know they are some of them even giving food supply or social support you know they say we have run out of all the food you know uh, that they have reserved um, they run out of a lot of uh, resources and which needs to be restocked again. So NGOs and youth works, uh, you know, they were very quick in reacting. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we could see in the news, everyone talks about the importance of volunteering and volunteers helping others. Yeah. But you just, after two minutes, you see in the news when they talk about the support packages and support packages are only for the businesses. So, uh, there are a lot of things that you know are, are not uh, not consistent, really. It's true. So, and I think it brings back this this the recognition issue, the recognition yeah. of youth work um, as a service that is needed in society, and especially in a society that is obviously in constant change, and where young people are um, spending a lot of time in schools, and schools are not designed to offer personal support. Uh, or the the kind of relationship based, like you said, and and learning space, um, as does in in the youth sector. Of course, the school is a learning space by nature, but there are other kinds of competences being worked in with youth work. And and if if we start cutting there, um, we will see, of course, then a rise in 
um, other kinds of behaviors in young people, like happened in the UK um, when they started cutting uh, very roughly all the all the support for youth work. Okay, well. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. I'm very much into these, these issues of innovation and, and future scenarios, like you know. Um, but, uh, we're going to have to close it soon. And before that, uh, following our tradition, we have a question from a previous guest who didn't know it was you that, uh, you would end up answering. Uh, but Rui has that question, Rui. What is your dream as a youth worker or as a youth work supporter? Okay. Maybe I can combine both. Um... <laughs> both uh, perspectives um, as a dream like about m me and my role in this field and maybe as a dream for the field so in terms of dream about myself and the way I do my role um, for me it's important that I do my work in as good way as I can so and I produce a quality service quality projects quality products uh, which have a long-lasting impact for the field and i think the dream for the field is that the field of youth work um, is recognized has its clear place in society mm -hmm. it has clear role it has um, sufficient resources is recognized as uh, needed and valuable uh, service for young people. Okay. I think we're, we're, we're dreaming the same dream. Limonas, <laughs> <laughs> um, would you like to leave um, a question for our next guest? Yeah, if we still uh, go on with the topic of um, innovation, uh, my question would be for another person, what are the three triggers that makes you innovate? All right. Very good one. Okay. Very, very cool. Yeah, very, very, very open, but very good. Well, Lemos, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation and sharing your thoughts and your expertise with us. And I wish you a lot of luck for your initiatives. And uh, I hope that this uncertain uh, future brings us nice surprises. I hope so, too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. pleasure. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Tim Maes with the support of UMAC, University of Applied Sciences.